as you know, last, last week uh, I had a message. I, hey, man, you, it's good to see you guys. Um, last week I had a message uh, that I was ready to preach, and uh, God just didn't give me peace, didn't give me peace. said, we're doing Lord's Supper, we're doing Lord's Supper. We're, and I'm like, well, then you got to do Lord's Supper, and he did. And so I get to preach the message this week that I wanted to preach last week, but I know that I'm supposed to preach it this week. Man, when I, I got, uh, even looking at notes last night, looking at things, he changed things up. And he's like, man, this is it. This is it. I got up this morning. Are, are you changing it on me again? I'm like, no, man, this is it. This is it. So I can't wait to, to share with you what God has given me to share with you. And uh, so um, it, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. And uh, I want to start off by, by saying uh, the introduction, he's changed a little bit in this. And I want to tell you a little bit about what my son does. He, uh, many of you know my son. Some of you don't know my son because when we planted the church five years ago, uh, he was actually a senior in high school. Then he went away to college. And since then, uh, this surfer dude who lived in the water became a farmer and a rancher. And he lives in L.A., Lower Alabama, and uh, he uh, just outside of Dothan, he, uh, the farm's in Rehoboth. Him and his wife bought a home in Slocum, Alabama, world famous for tomatoes. Did y'all know that? Slocum, Alabama. If you ever get a Slocum, Alabama tomato, it's supposed to be fantastic. But anyways, uh, I find out all this stuff about all this, but he's a rancher and he's a farmer uh, on the farm that he kind of went in to just kind of help. They've elevated him up to the point where... They, they want him to be one of the partners in it, and they're making that possible through some cattle, you know, sales and things. And so uh, it, it's a pretty good-sized farm. Uh, just not a lot of young people want to do that stuff. A lot of young people don't want to sweat. They don't want to work outside. They don't want to work hard. He loves it. He's so grateful. He doesn't have to wear a tie or, you know, have to work <laughs> indoors and all of that. He probably gets that from his mom, I'm thinking. But anyways, so so on their farm, they, they farm just tons of peanuts. In fact, all the peanuts that they can grow and harvest are sold to one of the peanut butter companies. And it's already done. They, they sell cotton. They grow cotton and they do all of that. But they had a commercial herd of cows, and um, one of the things the boss has now made him in charge of, and what he's developing, is he's developing this herd of beef master bulls. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, neither did I. At, uh, he's got a blog, and I'm learning everything on this blog about these cows. So, anyways, they're developing beef master bulls, black ones, and because that's what the market wants to buy, and he's... Um, uh, developing mostly bulls in this herd for sale later through bud lines. So one of the enemies to the peanuts, to the cotton, to the cows, one of the greatest enemies that there is to them making a living and being successful are feral pigs, feral hogs. And how many of y'all have experience with feral hogs at all? You know, yeah, shoot them. We eat them. Yeah, they're awesome on my barbecue grill and my smoker. But if you don't know about it, feral hogs, they kind of started in Florida. The Spanish brought them in the 1400s as little javelinas, you know. They started, they ran wild. And um, in fact, when I was little, they uh, even, not what, I must have been probably about 50-something years ago, they, they were actually more, more like javelinas and they came after you. But they've so mixed with all of the domestic animals that now they come in all colors, sizes, shapes. And they're either the smartest animal or the dumbest animal. Who does that sound like? Everybody say us. <laughs> they're either the smartest animal or they're the dumbest animal, depending on what day you catch them. Who's that sound like? Us. 
Yeah, and and that is the nature of them. And um, so they're all over the place. They um, they've spread to places like Texas even more than Florida. And they're all over the place right now. Now the problem with these feral hogs is they travel in packs. And you may be an animal lover, and be like, oh, don't hurt the feral hogs. But if they got into your newly planted petunias, you would be calling for an exterminator because they can devastate a crop. They can dev devastate a, a, a herd of cattle. They, uh, they'll get in and, and, uh, and, and just the, the rows that you just spent a whole week of planting, they'll just eat right through all of those. And now you don't have a crop. You know, they'll go in where your cattle are and they'll dig holes while they're rooting for grubs. And all of a sudden your cattle break their legs and now you, uh, now you gotta kill your cattle, you gotta destroy those. And they're just devastating in what they do. Not to mention that they carry no less than, I've heard 61, 71 diseases. You know, when we eradicate them and when we're cleaning them, man, you gotta wear gloves and you gotta cook them, get that internal temp around 200 and it's awesome. So if I ever give you any wild hog meat, it's totally safe, it's good. Nothing's happened to me yet, all right? We're good. And uh, so, uh, but it's, uh, but so, so he's gotta eradicate them. And now he grew up eradicating them around here, people with paintball fields would have like this beautiful lush grass and bunkers. And all of a sudden when the hogs come through and they dug it all up, the owner like, hey, take these out. Farmers, take these out. Ranchers, take these out because they're going to disease my... So he grew up doing that. Well, when he got up there, he's like, dad, we got a new way of taking these hogs out. And I'm like, well, what? And he's like, we have a trap. And, uh, and, and, and he showed me these really cool traps. And I've got a video of this trap for you because it goes perfect with the message that we have to hear from Paul today. When Paul is preaching to the Colossians, he's telling them, guys, don't get trapped. Don't get trapped. He said, if you don't go for the bait, you won't get trapped. You know that? So that's really the title of today's message. If you don't go for the bait, you won't get trapped. And he goes on to tell me, he said, anything except for Christ is bait, and Christ is anything but bait. So fill up on Christ, and you got no room for the bait, and you won't get trapped. And when I saw the video originally, of these traps, I started thinking of how much that is like us. How, man, we're working, we're doing our thing, everything's going good, but how many of y'all have ever had the devil just throw the right bait in front of your face to distract you? The right bait in front of your face to discourage you? The bait to kind of get you off track, and all of a sudden, you're trapped in something that if you would have stayed focused on Christ, you wouldn't be experiencing. And so in this short video, J.J. has kind of edited it a little bit, and it starts off with basically the farmer throwing down some corn. Now, Mac, we're going out this week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're still good, we're going to go out. Now, Mac, I, I don't know, what was your secret recipe? There's corn, and then you throw down some, like, syrup, and you had some kind of fruit, didn't you? Yeah, like fruit, you know, so there's all these different kinds of traps of sweet stuff you throw down there. And the hogs, man, they're eating roots, they're eating grubs, they're eating all kinds. And all of a sudden, they smell this sweet stuff. And they're like, oh, I'm going here. And they lose track of everything else around them. And they go for it. Who does that sound like? Us. Yeah. Don't get trapped, man. If you don't go for the bait, you won't get trapped. The bait is anything but Christ. But Christ is anything but bait. And if you stay full of Christ, you got no room for the bait and you won't get trapped. So watch this quick little video and, uh, and then we'll, I'll show you how it goes into Colossians. All right. You know what? The farmers feel the same way about those hogs as Satan feels about you Christians. 
You're messing up his kingdom, man. And if he can trap you and he can bait you, man, and, and he can put you down, it doesn't have to be now. You know what you know would be more valuable than even taking you out? Would be ruining your testimony. You know what would be more valuable than taking you out? Yeah, get, getting you to quit. Getting you to denounce Christ. Getting you to go back and living in the world. But no matter what, the way it all starts, it all starts with bait. Did you notice that? There's bait. Now, he can throw you some corn and you may not go after corn. How many of y'all go after corn? Okay, corn with some, with some molasses on it. How, how, any of y'all? how about donuts? All right, donuts. Let me see donuts. Yeah, that's us. He knows what bait to throw there. And so again, what I want you to know more than anything, if you don't think of any, remember anything else from this message, I want you to remember that if you don't go for the bait, you won't get trapped. trapped. The bait is anything but Christ. And Christ is anything but. And we're going to learn who Christ is and who he is. And so if you're full of who? Christ. Christ, you got no room for what? And you won't get trapped. Don't forget that today. So if you don't take the bait, you won't get trapped. That's the title today. And so uh, we're going to start off by, again, you've heard this from me already today. Bait is anything but Christ. Man, he doesn't use the same bait on Gary that he used on me, that he used on Zane, that he used on Son, that he used on JJ, that he used on Terry. It's all different bait that he uses in all of this. But the fact is, is how long has Satan been around? Not forever. He's been around a long time. He was a created being. He was an angel that was designed to give God the glory. That's what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to take the glory and reflect it back to God. Who does that sound like? Everybody point and say me. me. Yeah, that's us. But he just wanted to take a little bit of the glory himself. And God kicked him out of heaven, according to the book of Isaiah. And he took a third of the angels with him. Oh, no, he's got a third of the angels and they're called demons. But if he's only got a third of them, how many's God had left? Two thirds. And how many's God need? None. Because God by himself is a majority. But he's got two thirds of them there. So and greater is the one that lives in us than the one that lives in this world. So what we're going to learn at the very end of all of this, if you're a believer, he's got nothing on you except to deceive you and put false fear in you. He's got no authority, no anything on you. But your job is to avoid the trap by avoiding the bait. And the bait is anything but Christ. Take a look at this. Paul's writing to the Colossians and he starts off and he says, see to it. See to it. What is it? Hey, when it says see to it, what does that mean? Gotta do it. Dude, get your eyes off whatever they're on and see to this. Focus on this. Paul says this is crucial. This is important in your life. See to it that no one, no one, that's no one, anybody, takes you what? Captive. Yeah, no one traps you. No one takes you captive. And look what he says, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human traditions, according to the elemental spirits or principles of this world that are what? Not. So he lists some things and we're going to talk about those. But the summation of it is anything that's not according to Christ. Fill up on Christ and you got room for nothing else. And so he goes on. Let's look how he described it. See to it that no one takes you captive. And now the things he's mentioned are the things that the Colossian church is being taken captive. The people are trying to uh, uh, deceive them and pull them out of Christianity by this. And it was Judaizers trying to say, you guys need rituals. It was 
people of all kinds of Gnosticism and all these other isms saying, no, there's some higher revelation. And, and if you guys, you know, get these secret things of God, you need Christ plus these secret things. I got a secret thing that will take you to another spiritual level. It's straight from the pit of hell. But that's the ploy that the enemy was using in Colossae because they were reaching people for Christ. He says, see to it, no one takes you captive. And what's the first word? Philosophy. Philosophy. By philosophy. Now, I'm not saying philosophy is bad, but phileo, what is, phile what is, what is philosophy? Phileo is love of. And Sophie, where's Sophie? Sophie, it's wisdom. Did you know your name meant wisdom? So it's love of wisdom. Now, in Scripture, in Scripture, the book of Proverbs teaches us wisdom. And the best scriptural definition of wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. That wisdom, pour everything you've got into it. That's not what he's talking about it. He's talking about people who have a love for wisdom that is not of Christ. They're trying to figure something out that's already been figured out. Well, how can we beat God at his game? How can we do that? take this thing that we love doing that God says is sin and make it legal and not have guilt and not have convictions? Hey, who's that sound like? Again. Yeah. You don't do that. <laughs> I do it. And I need to be corrected. But they would sit around and have love of wisdom talking about, about this and about this and, and stuff that made no difference. It's not wrong to love wisdom as long as the wisdom of God. But how, go, go read philosophy. Go look up famous philosophers. Just Google it up. Not right now, but Google it up sometime. Famous philosophers. How many Christian philosophers do you think it'll pull up on Google? How many straight from the pit of hell? How many worldly, ungodly philosophers that have ideas? Oh, Jesus. And what was going on in Colossae was, oh, Jesus had a body, but he wasn't God. He couldn't have had a body and been God. If he's God, he didn't really have a body. That was just an emanation. That was, that was like a hologram, we would say today. He wasn't really... They had all these really weird things the same way. I can't tell you, oh, dude, have you ever read the book of Enoch? And I'm like, what? And the book of Enoch, oh my goodness, there's awesome stuff about angels in there. And I'm like, get away from that stuff. It's not in our canon. It's not in our scripture. You might find it in part of the Apocrypha and different things. And in fact, most of the crazy stuff we have about angels is not in Scripture. It's stuff that we find from the, the, uh, the Pharisees or the rabbis in the intertestamental period. When God wasn't revealing stuff to people, they came up with these philosophies of angels and demons and incarnations and all this stuff. It's speculation. So anything aside from Christ, and what does John start off by saying? In the beginning, the what? The Word was with God. The Word was God. So who's the Word? Christ. Anything but the Word in context. And you guys have heard me say so many times, a text without a context is a pretext. You take the Word of God out of context, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. EJ, where's he? Oh, he might be down there. Chris, you work in a, you're in the prison system, right? Do you guys have a manual? of things you have to do and can't do. They tell you, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. There's things for you to do, and there's things for, what are the people living there called? Inmates, okay, called, okay. They're there. Can you just interchange who they're for? 
Can, can the inmates do the things? Oh, they get the press. Oh, yeah, well, I can do what the guards do. The guards can. Can you just, how specific do you have to take? How much context do you have to put in to that manual to know? Is there, can you just take whatever paragraph you want out? Can you take whatever line you want? Who can do that on their job when you have a manual? What makes us think we can do it with the word of God? We take a verse or we take a piece and we just pull it out of the air and make it say what we want. You've got to read the word in context to know who he is. You can't do that to your grandma's letter and make it make sense, can you? It's got to be in context. So he said, man, philosophy, you can talk about stuff and enjoy stuff. He said, man, but don't get trapped. And I can't tell you, in 30 years of pastoring, how many people I have seen get trapped and it breaks my heart. When I get that text, when I get that phone call, when I get them, they meet me for like, oh, hey, you know, we've become this or we've, and I'm not talking about leaving a church or whatever. I'm talking about leaving the doctrine, leaving Orthodox Christianity, leaving biblical Christianity to follow some hobby horse, some whim, something that somebody has come up with that's new. And that's what Paul was upset about in, the, in Colossae because people were just following <laughs> stuff. And he's like, no, no, no. They're talking about stuff that does not reconcile with who Christ is and what he's doing. Man, he goes, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Hey, let me ask you a question. Empty deceit. All right, what's the opposite of empty deceit? What's the opposite of empty? Full. full. What's the empty opposite of deceit? Truth. So he said, make sure you stay in full truth, right? Not empty deceit. What if you stay in partial truth? That's Satan's... Not, hey, is corn bad for, for pigs? Is it good for... Do they go through cornfields in Nebraska? And do they go through cornfields and eat corn? Yeah. They eat wild corn. Do they ever get corn that's outside of, outside of a trap? And is it good? Yeah, because they don't get caught. It's not good for the farmer, but it's good for them. When is it bad? It's bad when it's used for bait. <laughs> If the farmer's smart enough to use a bait that's sort of real. <laughs> hey, Gary, you fish, right? You ever use an artificial lure? <laughs> yeah, dude. I can take a piece of plastic with treble hooks sticking out, throw it out there and go whap, 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 and get it going bam, 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 bam. And uh, I can make it act and, and, and get a fish to act on their impulse enough where they'll blast it out of the water. They'll be hooked. They'll be clean. They'll be in my frying pan and in my belly. And we'll stop there. <laughs> yeah. Animals can be baited so easy because they, we can get them to act off instinct. How about you? Aren't we beyond that? Aren't we above that as a human? But what about as a Christian with the Holy Spirit of God living inside us and with the complete word of God where everything we look at, we take and say, Holy Spirit, open this up to me. What should I do here? But where we get in trouble is, oh, dude, there's corn. And that, come on, it's corn. Dude, and they got molasses on it. And some, some sucker dumped a bunch of fruit. Let's get it before all the other pigs get it. And then that what happens to us. Christy's laughing because they didn't like shoot them. Christy, man, raise your hand, Christy. Christy has caught hogs with her bare hands. Dude, when she goes down with the kids, don't you worry about them kids. <laughs> I'm just saying, her and her daddy, that was daddy time. Yeah, if you bait them, you teach them, you train them. And, 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 and sometimes that training process takes a while. I remember my uncle, anybody ever here catch mullet on a fishing rod? 
catch it with bait. Well, they're, 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 they're vegetarians. So most of the time we got to throw nets on mullet. Well, my uncle, this was back probably like when I was like 12, 13, he's like, hey, we're going to go catch mullet on our fly rods. And I'm like, what? What kind of fly are you going to catch mullet with? He said, no, no, I got this. He said, you know when the schools of mullet come? He said, what we're going to do is we're going to throw handfuls of, of, of oatmeal out there. And the mullet are going to love the oatmeal. And we're going to start by throwing it out there every 30 seconds. So they're going to come and they're going to eat it and they're going to go off. And then we throw it again and they come. Then we're going to start throwing it every two, every minute. Then we're going to start throwing it every two, three minutes. Then we're going to start throwing it every five minutes. Now that's a long time to catch some mullet, isn't it? You just throw a daggum net and get them. But you ever caught a mullet off a fly rod? I have. Off an artificial piece of bait. So you train them to start coming back and coming back and coming back. And then when you got them coming back every five to ten minutes, they're like, where's it at? Where's it at? And you throw one. We take a little piece of a plastic worm that was white that looked like a piece of oatmeal. And we go, choo, 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 throw it out there and start just letting it sit, man. And all of a sudden, that mullet would take it, thinking it was a piece of oatmeal. And guess where he ended up? In the frying pan, yeah. Or my smoker won. Aren't we above that? As humans. So you see, it doesn't have it happen immediately. It can be a system. Is Satan in a hurry? No. He's not in a hurry. He doesn't know when Christ is coming back. He's not in a hurry. But yeah, our job is urgent. And our job is urgent to share the gospel with folks before they die. That's our job. And we don't know when anybody's going to die. And we know that from the time we're born again to the time he brings us home, we know that's our job. And so we've got to stay full of Christ, and we're full of Christ. We can't we have any room for bait. And if we don't have any room for bait, guess what? We don't get trapped. And that's what he's getting ready to tell you. He said, man, he said, that sure no one takes you captive by philosophy. Just thinking of brainstorming of all the meaning of life and what's life about. Dude, the Bible's pretty, pretty, pretty specific on what all those answers are. It's, you get in trouble when you're trying to find other answers other than the ones God has given you. And empty deceit, empty lies as opposed to the full truth. Look at this, according to what? Has there ever been any religious groups ever that took precedence, that, that human tradition took precedence over God's word? Yeah, that's, where the, that's what happened when Jesus came. That was the Pharisees. Human tradition, God himself came in the flesh and said, this is how it works. This is what God is. I'm God in the flesh, and I'm here to show you who God is. They're like, get out of here. You don't match up with our human traditions. And I don't think we change. You want a book that will mess you up? Anybody want a book that will mess them up that's legit? It's made by Barna, and it's called Pagan Christianity. Brad was the one who, who challenged me to read it, thinking it was going to mess And I was like, yeah. And you know what this book is about? Barna did it, and he took all these things that we do in our church, like one guy getting up and preaching and everybody else listening. And we say that's biblical. Well, it is. Peter did it. So, but you know what? how they did in church most of the time? Hey, Zane, how they do church most of the time? At the house. At the house and everybody taught everybody, right? And, and everybody heard from God and everybody contributed. Now, is it unbiblical for me to be preaching and you to be listening? No, but that's not the only way it's done. And so when we say, well, that's the biblical way to do it. Well, not really. Or all the different. Read that book and you will see all the things we do in church 
that we're like, you can't take that away. That's against God. We wouldn't be a church if we didn't do this. Pastor's got to wear some shoes. No. <laughs> <laughs> we got to pay him more so we can afford some full britches. Go all the way down to his leg. <laughs> Literally, that's just stupid stuff there. But seriously, you read that book and you'd be challenged. Now, I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm not saying you can't have them in your church, but when it comes down to the Word of God wanting you to do something different as far as the method's concerned, you got to go with the Word of God. And what a pity it would be if you nail human tradition. You nail it. You've got it down perfect. But you miss the thing, very thing God wanted you to do. But you got human tradition down. Looks like a church. Smells like a church. Acts like a church. But it ain't really a church. Because it's not bringing anybody to Christ. It's not helping people see life from God's perspective. So, we got to be careful. So, according to human tradition, he says, that's one of the ways you'll know it. According to the elemental spirits of the world. And this is interesting. Because the elemental spirits and the way it's translated in different versions. And you take the Greek. It's kind of the elemental principles of the world. The best way to translate the ABCs. The basic things of life. It's like... God wants us to go beyond the ABCs. The ABCs of what the world operates. Well, this is how the world operates. You know what? i got to take care of me. If I, uh, God helps those who help themselves. Hey, where's that in Scripture? Hezekiah 18.45, right? No, I'm just saying. We have all these things that are human nature that we try to bring into biblical Christianity. But So the spirits of the world are the elemental principles of the world. Hey, when Jesus came, and even when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, was he countercultural? Yes. Was he totally against the culture? They hated the Roman soldiers, and the Roman soldiers might require a cloak for you, from you, your only cloak, or to require you to carry something for them. You're tired, you're beat up, and the Romans will carry this for me. What would you do before the Sermon on the Mount? You'd grab it like, oh, I can't wait till these guys are dead. Man, we get a Messiah. We're never going to have to listen to them again. What did Jesus tell them to do when that soldier asked him to carry it? Mac? He said, give me the other one too. Give me both of them. And I'm going to do it joyfully under a heavy load. I'm going to do it because Christ has given me the opportunity. And the soldier says, why would you do that? Because I love Jesus. And he's changed my heart and things are different for me. That's not the way people react. Well, how do he say? He said, he said, how do you get more? By hoarding it? By sitting on top? Is that what he said? What did Jesus say? How do you get more? Give it away. Give it away. It's so countercultural, Christianity is. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's not telling you, oh, these are the things you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be, now work hard to do these things. What he's showing you is if you're truly a believer and you're born again, this is how your life is going to be. This is what you are going to be doing. So if you're not, you realize you can't do it in the flesh. He preached the Sermon on the Mount so they would know they had to have a Savior to change their lives, to give them new desires and abilities to do things that were so counter-human countercultural. So he says, man, if you're going to go, if you're going to talk about human philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, the elemental principles, basically, hey, when a baby w wakes up in the middle of the night, baby wakes up in the middle of the night, a baby is starving. What does that baby do? The baby say, I'm going to wait until mom and dad wake up. Or I hear at least like my dog. Dude, my dog, 
like starts early, like Keone, but starts early, man, and my dog will be laying there, and I know when my dog starts nuzzling up and curling up and getting his arm, his nose under my underarm where it really loves being. No, I'm just, when my dog's right there. I finally figured it out. It's not because she loves me. She's trying to gently wake me up because she wants to go out. <laughs> she has a sin nature. She doesn't care about me. Again, <laughs> that. It's the same thing with a baby. A baby needs something that cries. It doesn't wait. It doesn't care. Human nature is so contrary to a born-again nature. That's why we need to be born again. So if we are following human nature, the elementary spirits of this world, and now we can take this from a spiritual sense, the demons that are, have been thrown out of, out, of, um, uh, out of heaven, the ones that are following Satan, the ones that are working with them, Hey, do you think it's a good idea that we follow their promptings? No. <laughs> so that's what he's saying. These are things that will get you trapped. The corn looks good. It smells good. But Terry, they even put some molasses on Some powdered sugar on it and made it look like a donut. I'm just saying that it looks so good. So in order to avoid a lie, what do we have to have our minds totally immersed in? Yeah, the truth which is Christ. So he'll see to it no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of this world or principles of this world, anything that is not according to Christ. So if you don't take the bait, you won't get trapped. And the bait is anything but Christ. And from the corn illustration, the bait can sort of look like Christ. Hey, let me ask you a question. Um, Laura Kerner, after, after I, I told her last week, I'd said, hey, I'm supposed to preach on don't fall for counterfeits and all of this. She was so excited, she sent me a text, and she sent me this. She, she sent me a text, and I said, well, bring it, bring it. I don't know where God's going with all this, but she brought it. How many of y'all ever eat this stuff? Not enough sugar on it for you? Is that what it is? No. All right, I should have frosted flakes, but let me ask you a question. What is this? Who makes it? Okay, Kellogg, Post, somebody, right? Oh, wait a minute. What about Millville? <laughs> you think, this is Millville. You know what? This is the generic counterfeit knockoff from Aldi's. This is not the real stuff. And if you were to read it, it's actually got Roundup in it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Literally, this is not the real stuff, but how many of you just saw it passing? Dude, I want some real Raisin Bran. I'm craving Raisin Bran. Nothing else will help me but Raisin Bran. And you see this box, you would go hog wild after it. Yeah, because it looks real, doesn't it? What if it was a box of cornflakes and you wanted Raisin Bran? You would know it's different. That's not the way bait works. Bait's got to look kind of real, doesn't it? How real? When I saw it, she brought it, actually. I'm like, well, this is Raisin Bran. I don't get it, Laura. And then I look and I saw Millville. <laughs> and it wasn't Kellogg or Post. It was Millville. <laughs> yeah. You remember when Satan tempted Jesus? And we're going to get off this and get to the good stuff of what we do have in the truth of Christ here in the next verse. <laughs> that next couple of verses. But do you remember when the Spirit of God, and you can go to Matthew, I believe it's chapter 4, verse 1 through 12. You can go into Luke and see it. But when the Spirit of God, after Jesus' baptism, led Jesus Christ into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. He didn't just get tempted three times. He got tempted for 40 days. There's just only three ways we can be tempted. And according to 1 John 2.16, the ways we can be tempted are the lust of the eyes, 
the pride of life and the lust of the flesh. Wanting something we think our body needs that God does is depriving us from, lust of the flesh. Seeing something and all of a sudden, oh, dude, I can't take my eyes off it and I've got to have it. Boom. Or the pride of life, wanting to be like God. Wanting to make my own decision because God really just doesn't have, I got, God, you got most things handled, but not this one. So the devil was tempting Jesus for 40 days. Remember the first one? Jesus had been fasting for it. Hey, Selma, if you had not eaten for 40 days, what would you be more than anything in this universe? Hungry. How many of you, if you've not eaten for 40 days, would be hungry? Yeah. And how many of you would say, I believe it's God's will that I eat? Yeah. 40 minutes. Okay, so I preach a little longer than that. But it's like, by the time I'm done, it's like, it is God's will that we eat. We are about to faint and we are famished. But, yeah, so 40 days, it's God's will. We would justify every way, any way God wanted, including the devil coming and saying, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. We would justify and say, yeah, dude. All right, I'm going to show the devil a thing or two. I'm going to show him the authority I have. Bam! They're bread. But what did Jesus do? He said, wait a minute. You know what? I, 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 I'm going to ask, tokenly, I'm going to ask my father. But I already know what he said. Man, I live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I don't live by my emotions. I don't live by my physical desires. I don't even live by my earthly justifications on what I should and shouldn't have. What I live by is when God the Father says, do this, I do it. And guess what? Even though, yeah, you're right, buddy, I'm hungry. But God the Father didn't want me to make these stones into bread. And so he fought the devil off with scripture. He fought his own temptations. He fought off wanting to eat after not eating for how long, Selma? Can you imagine? Are you going to be praying, God, let you try that out? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you remember the next thing, the devil took him up on the pinnacle of the mountain or the pinnacle of the temple. And all the worshipers were down there worshiping. And so, so let me ask you a question. What did Jesus fight the devil off with? Scripture. The word of God. Because the word of God is the only truth we have. That's according to Christ. He was the perfect. He perfectly emulated it. So how do you think, what do you think the devil's going to use next as a temptation? Do you think he might just use the word of God? But he's going to twist a text without a context, a pretext. And this is a classic example. He gets him up on the temple and says, look, man, if you jump, and, and what the implication is, if you jump, first of all, God's going to rescue you. Psalm 91, man, says that he's going to send angels and catch you before you even dash a foot against a stone or stub your toe on a rock. You just jump. And, and beyond that, guess what? When you jump and the angels come and rescue you, everybody will know you're the Messiah and you won't have to die and go to the cross. But what did Jesus do? He whooped out scripture again. <laughs> and he didn't whip it out in his pocket scroll. He whipped it out because it was burned in his heart. And he said, man, what did he say? Anybody remember what he said? Say that again? Yeah. Don't tempt God. Yeah. Uh, and so, so again, he whoops out scripture. But did you notice the devil whipped out some scripture too? But he took it out of context. When you read that scripture, Psalm 91, go read it later today. Around Psalm 91, 11, I think is where that verse is. The devil pulls out. Guess what the whole first 10 verses are talking about? The context. Follow God. 
Stay underneath his authority. Do what God wants you to do. And when you're in the middle of doing what God wants you to do, if something happens and he needs to rescue you, guess what he'll do? He'll rescue you. It doesn't say that today you go into Publix grocery store and you get two gallons of bleach and you get up on the stand, you know, the cashier stand with the intercom, excuse me, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm going to drink bleach and not die. What do you think is going to happen, bro? You're going to die. Or you're going to puke before you die. But I'm just saying, that's tempting the Lord God, doing things he's not called you to do. And if he does call you to go drink bleach, call me first and let me help you make sure. <laughs> because we got to find it in context in the word of God. Because the devil, if he tried to trick Jesus with scripture, do you think he's got any qualms of trying to trick you? When you pull out your little favorite verse of the day that you got in your daily devotion or your daily bread, and that's it, and you're not a student studying his word, do you not think he's going to trick you? Yeah. And you can't depend on what us preachers say. I'm not purposely lying to you. I'm not purposely trying to deceive you, but I'm human, and I can be wrong. You've got to go to the, go to the word of God and let the spirit of God show you what it is, the complete word of God. What about the last one with Jesus? First the bread, then we got the up here. Hey, what did the devil take? Where did he take him last? You guys remember that? He took him up on a mountain, and what did he show him? The whole world. Was there any place where you could see the whole world? No. If he can make Jesus see the whole world, can he make you see the whole world? Can he deceive you that way? But again, Jesus whooped out scripture and fought him off with that. Adam and Eve, and I've preached this so many times before, but it's a principle the Holy Spirit's bringing up for somebody right now, probably me. <laughs> Jesus survived all those temptations for 40 days because he listened to what? God's word. He listened to God's word. Adam and Eve, she saw the tree was good. Woo! <laughs> I think that fruit looks good. I think I need some of that fruit. I'm going to keep looking at that fruit. I want some of that fruit. I need some of the fruit. And then all of a sudden, now our body's desiring the fruit. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. Man, I want some fruit. And all it took was a little snake. Hey, you see a snake show up? You see a snake? How many of y'all would stop and go, hey, Mr. Snake, do you have any good advice for me today? <laughs> or how many of you would say, Amy, ah! <laughs> yeah. But we're willing to listen to a stinking snake to corroborate what our eyes have seen and our body desires that we think God's ripping us off by not giving us. We're looking for any evidence, even from a lowly snake on his belly. Hey, what do you think I should do? You already have what God Almighty told you to do. Leave, run, flee. Don't, you can do anything but this. And the snake says, hey, yeah, God just wants you to be like him. Go for it. Who'd they listen to, Almighty God or a slimy little slithery snake? It's, it's amazing how, especially Christians, we will justify things if our heart is set on it. We see it with our eyes, we want it with our flesh, and oh, we will find Scripture to back it up if it kills us or kills the integrity of Scripture. But guess who's going to die in the end? The wages of sin is death. Your hopes, your dreams, your desires. Do you really want to make a bad decision and suffer the consequences? Why did God give us these things? Because he loves us too much for us to be lost in them. 
He wants us to experience eternal life here. Eternal life there is going to be perfection because all we do is what God wants us to do. We blow it every time we're here. <laughs> and we want to do what we want to do. We lose the experience that he wants us to have. So he said, man, the bait is anything but Christ. Wow, we went way too long on that. No, we didn't. <laughs> That's where God wants us. Look at this. But look at this. If the bait is anything but Christ, I won't, this is what God showed me. This is probably my favorite part of what God showed me in this outline. And Christ is anything but bait. You know, there was a time in my life where trying to share the gospel with people, I almost felt under certain systems where I was trained how to do it, I almost felt like I was putting bait on a hook and trying to trick people into Jesus. Anybody ever felt that way? That's not it at all. When you know who Christ is, when you know what he is, who he is, what he's brought you, what he's given you, it's not bait. It's like, dude, why would you want this when you can have this? Why would you guys want this stuff with Roundup when you can have the real stuff with MSG? No, I'm just joking. Why, why would you? Yeah, why do you want a fake when you can have the real one? And Christ is anything but bait. And when you, I want you to go home and I want you to study these verses further and look and see why God wants you to have the real thing, not some artificial fake that you have justified because this is what I want. Look at this. He starts at, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's God. So Jesus, in Jesus, the whole fullness. What does whole fullness mean? Yeah, what does whole fullness mean? Yeah, is there any, can you get any fuller? I mean, after lunch today, you'd be like, oh, I can't. Remember that Alka-Seltzer commercial? I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Anybody old enough to remember that? Has any of y'all ever felt that way? I can't eat anymore. I'm wholly full. But here what it says is in Christ. Anybody ever tells you Jesus is not God? Show them this verse. The whole fullness. Can there be any whole or fullness of God in Christ? No, he said the whole fullness of God, deity, dwells bodily. So Jesus was holy God, but he had a body which made him holy what? Man. So he could be a man and pay for man's sins, but he could be God and be able to do it. Because how many of y'all, when you're dead, can raise yourself from the dead? You've got to be God to do that. And he's the only God-man capable of doing it. That's why there's only one Messiah, and he's our Savior. And look what it says, and you have been what? It doesn't say, and you're going to be filled, you're going to receive filling, you're going to eventually, it's not a process, it's a done deal. You have been filled in him. The guy who is God-man, who is Jesus, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, he is, but the guy who's totally 100% God, he has been filled with God and now he has filled you. Did you know, how many of y'all know the next person next to you is full of it? <laughs> but they're full of God if you're a believer how many of y'all are a believer and you, you are full of God yeah and listen then why don't we act like it we'll talk about that in a minute the problem is with salvation we have all of him but how many of y'all know that he doesn't have all of you how many of y'all know he doesn't have all of you anybody here those of you who don't raise your hand you're liars and that just proves that he doesn't have all of you I'm just saying look that's what the process of sanctification is. That salvation, we're full of him. We have all of him. We have all of the Holy Spirit there is. But as we crucify the flesh, 
as we believe the promises he's given us, we experience more of that. So let me ask you a question. When you go to heaven, what happens to the flesh? Are you take it with you? It's gone. And all you have is the desire and ability to do whatever he wants. But while you're here, the process of sanctification is crucifying it. So you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So if he's the boss of all bosses, does anybody have authority out of you, Gary? No. no. Don't tell your wife that. No, I'm just joking. I'll show her that scripture, man, but you're on your own defending it. No. Listen, he's the boss of bosses, the boss of everything. And so he's in you. So who's the only one you really need to listen to? Yeah. But are there consequences in this counter-Christ world that we live in when you do follow him? Absolutely. But what's the worst they can do? They kill you, right? And what happens when you die? You're there. And you're living in perfection forever. That'll tell us how much of the flesh we've surrendered and haven't. Dude, I want to die. I'm not saying I'm masochistic and I want to die either. But I want to be with Jesus. Look. You've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He's the boss. Isn't that even the Great Commission? He starts off, before he was ascended, he said, all power and authority has been given to me. So what power and authority has not been given to him? All of it. He says, there, go, as you're going. Because all power and authority has been given to me, as you are going through your life, make what? Disciples. Disciples. And then baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in a moment, because that's how we identify with him. Baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In case you don't know what making disciples is, it's teaching others to observe what I've taught you. So as I take you through this life and this process of you getting more and more of uh, giving, me getting more and more of you, as I take you through that, he says, then you teach others what I just taught you. And then he says, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm with you always. <laughs> There's the gospel burger. All power and authority, that's the bottom bun. The top bun is I'm with you always, and the beef is the gospel right in the middle. And you can't handle the gospel without the buns. The fact that he's always with us and that he's got power and authority, that's what this says. I'm the boss. You've got one boss. You've got one job, and that's to do what I've said to do. That's what he said, not me. And look what it says. So they're like, the Jews are like, well, you got to be circumcised. you got to have like rituals. Because Jews were given a symbol of circumcision, which was cutting physical flesh as a mental, spiritual image of cutting your own flesh. Surrendering your flesh to do what God wants you to do instead of what you want to do. And so many places in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, it says, dude, you... Paul even tells the, the Corinthians, I think it was, he said, you think cir physical circumcision is going to do it? Cut the whole thing off. That's literally what Paul says. Physical circumcision doesn't do the trick. It's a picture of what's supposed to happen to you internally and spiritually. You got all of me. I'm just waiting for all of you. <laughs> Isn't that kind of cool? And that's what this circumcision is. You, you think you got to be circumcised? Then do it right. Get circumcised spiritually, internally. He says, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. He ain't talking about a laser gun. He's talking about an internal spiritual circumcision where when you're born again now, he gives you the ability to overcome the flesh. How many of y'all know you don't have to sin? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man, but God's faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above your able, but with the temptation, he'll make a way to escape. You don't have to. 
then why do we, Cowboy Bob? Because we want to. That's the answer. In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And in other words, when you got Christ, you got circumcised spiritually the way it matters. He now gave you a new nature, and the more you feed that new nature, the more you act like that new nature, the more the flesh shrinks and gets cut off. Almost done. Having been buried with him in baptism. You want an, so you Christians want a symbol? Okay, you want a ritual? How about let's take baptism? When I put you under the water, when you stand in the water at baptism, what does that look like? Cross. It looks like a cross. I take you under the water. Okay, that symbolizes Jesus' is what? Yeah. Death and burial. And I bring you up, fortunately, because that symbolizes Jesus' resurrection. It also symbolizes your dying to being the boss of your life and rising to live a new life in resurrection power. Does baptism save you? Does baptism give you that power? Does baptism make any of those things happen? No, it's an outward symbol of something that's gone on inwardly. You guys want an outward symbol? You think you need one? How about remembering your baptism? But that's not when it happened. It happened, look at this, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him. When were you raised with him? Through what? Faith. When you put faith and trust in what he did on the cross. And then every single day as you crucify the flesh and grow the spirit, he said, that's, that's, how, that's what's happening in your life. You're raised with him in faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. What is the most important event that's going to happen in your life? For all, how many of y'all are alive right now? You guys are good? All right, shake. Somebody's not. All right, everybody's alive. What's the next most important event in your life right now as a believer? Yeah, not, well, yeah, when you die. But, but okay, so let's just say death is going to happen. All right, right after death, what is the most important event? <laughs> and who's doing that? Are you doing it, Gary? Dude, I'm dead except my big toe. I think I could swim to heaven with that big toe. Oh, I got a whole foot. <laughs> Who are we trusting? What's the only way we're getting to heaven? Him. Do we have anything to do with it once we're dead? The greatest thing, the thing we're, I don't know about you, but the greatest thing I'm counting on is when I'm dead that he raises me. That's what he's saying. He's saying if he is going to raise you from the dead, what do you think he wants to do through you right now? <laughs> Just have that same faith. And if you're trusting him to raise you when you're dead, why do we have such a hard time trusting him now? And I'll give you the answer. Because we have a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And like Paul said, I don't do what I want to do. And I do what I don't want to do because I have this battle. I want what I want. Even though it's bad for me, I want it. And God says, man, I just want you to want me. And that's how we get trapped. So look at this. He says, in you who were dead in your trespass. Hey, when were you dead in your sins? Before salvation. From the time you were born to the time you were born again. You who were dead in your trespasses or sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made what? Was it your righteousness? Was, you, was it you going to church? Was it you being an altar boy? You being a... A deacon, you being, you tithing, was that what made you alive? Look what it says. God made you alive together with him. And what has he done? He's having what? Yeah, 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 so is there anything, once you're born again, is there anything you can do that's not forgiven? Hey, is there anything Selma can do to not be your daughter? 
She loves you, bro. She's your, yeah, not that y'all have favorites or anything, but I'm just saying. Is there anything you could ever do to not be his, his daughter? Never. But could you do some things that will cause him to want to correct you? And, and throw down the gauntlet on you? And then why? Is it to show you who's boss, or is it, does he really just want you to live a successful life? Yeah, that's why he says it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you, and you won't understand that until you're a parent. But that's what God's saying to us all the time. But I want to sin. I want to. God, this is okay. It works for me. It may not work for Moses. It works, it's working for me. He's like, no. <laughs> There's nothing we can do to have our sins not forgiven, to not be his child. Look what we've got, man. We're alive. Hey, Zane, you talk about it a lot. What can a dead body do? Produce death. It stinks. It's roadkill. That's what you are before you're born again. You come into church before you're born again, you're roadkill. You can't do the things that are preached in the word except sin. You can't live the Christian life until you're born again and he gives you the spirit of God to live until he makes you alive. But man, what's your name again? Who just gave your life to Christ? What's your name? Zeke. No, Zeke. Your daughter gave her life to Christ, right? Oh, no, we're talking about another one. Oh, another one, okay. Yeah, now she's alive. And now her sins are forgiven forever. She's no longer dead in her sins. They're no longer ever unforgiven. And check this out, Romans said. He says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You like that verse, don't you, Karen? Yeah. Because you know what that verse says? How many of y'all have a big, long list of sin? CVS What's that? A CVS receipt. Yeah. <laughs> Worth of sin. And this isn't like my name is Earl, where you got to like, okay, well, I got to make things right with Billy Robinson again. And then I was forgiven. And I got to fix that. No. And for those of you who don't know who my name is Earl, you might want to watch it. I don't even know if it's even available. But that's what he did. He tried to make everything right. You can't. You can't fix that CVS receipt. All you can do is give it to Christ and say, have mercy on me. And he says, I love you. And what I did on the cross pays for those. Let me have that receipt. And he takes it and he nails it to the cross. He took your sins to the cross with him. They're gone. Now, does that mean you don't have consequences when you mess up, Roger? Uh, no. no, dude. You stick your hand in fire, it's going to burn. And he's going to say, why do you do that? And you're like, oh, I'm just a stupid human. You know, <laughs> I fall for the trap every time. Because <laughs> I'm not full of Christ. I'm full of the world. But Yeah, so he canceled them. He eliminated it from you. Nailed your sins to the cross. Look at this. He disarmed, and by doing this, he disarmed. What does it mean to disarm somebody? If we had a dude come in here, God forbid, I covered with the blood of Jesus. We were talking about it, right? A guy comes in here with a gun. First of all, I'm hoping some of y'all are carrying, and I know some of y'all are, but I'm just saying a guy comes in here with a gun, and he's willing, and he's wanting to shoot us up. He's literally got that scary thing, but it's a reality in church these days. So you better know where you're going because you could go in church. I'm just saying. But he comes in. What is our first priority, Terry? Disarm him. Yes. And if Terry's right there and he comes in that door, he will literally be disarmed. We're not talking about losing a weapon. We're talking about losing an arm. He will be disarmed. When you disarm somebody, they can't hurt you anymore, right? They have no arms for which to hurt you. If they go swimming, their name is Bob. No, never mind. I'm sorry. That's a bad joke. Bob, get it? Or Flipper. But anyways, 
<laughs> Terry, you needed that, right? Yeah. All right, so literally, if they're disarmed, they can't hurt you. Who did Jesus disarm on the cross? And listen, man, Warren Wiersbe said something awesome. He said, if the demons and the devil really knew what was going to happen on the cross after Christ did what he did on the cross, they really would have understood how defeated they were. They would have never crucified him. They thought they were going to win a battle. They lost the biggest battle that they would ever face. Because through what he did on the cross, look, it says, he what? Disarmed. disarmed. I want you guys to never have, I want you to have mental images of what it means to be disarmed now. He disarmed the rulers and authorities of this world. And he put them to open what? Shame. Shame by triumphing over them in him. <coughs> They have lost all power, all authority. I'll give you this illustration and then we'll, we'll be done um, in here because I do believe that is the last, uh, I believe that's the last scripture we're looking at here. Go back to that scripture real quick and I'll cut to this. It's a guy by a guy named Miles Stanford. I shared it with you a million times, but I want you to understand what you got when you got saved. And, and Miles Stanford was from turn of century, 1800s, whatever, where they took ships across the sea back and forth. And he was preaching one time and he said, guys, he said, when you start out in this world, you're on a ship and you have a captain. As much as you don't want to believe it, the captain of your ship is Satan. You do whatever that captain wants you to do. And, and, and it's just that's biblical. That's what the Bible says. You're doing that. But you realize how horrible that is. You don't want that to be. And Christ offers you grace and faith and says, let me be your captain. And when you surrender and let him be the captain, he now becomes the captain of your ship mid-voyage. Some earlier in the voyage, some later in the voyage. When's it too late to make him your captain? When you're dead. And you don't know when that's going to happen. So he's, you switch captains and Christ is now your captain. So he takes your old captain, which is Satan, and he puts him below deck. And he chains him up in a prison, a jail cell that he can't get out of. Does he have any more authority over you while he's chained up in that prison? But guess what he doesn't stop doing? He doesn't start, stop barking out orders. He doesn't stop trying to cause mutiny. He doesn't stop trying to get you to go against and revolt against your captain. In fact, any time you get near the stairs to where he's at, you get anywhere near that. He's shouting out, trying to tell you how he'd be a better captain. How this guy here is trying to rob you of your fun, not give you what, you're, what you deserve, not giving, and, and all the other things that he uses. To, he, he's throwing corn out, if you want to go back to the hog trap. He has no authority over you, period, if you're a born-again believer, unless you give it to him. If he throws lies out to you and says it's better to be with him and you stay with him, then guess what? That's, your, that's on you, man. I told you, 1 Corinthians said, there's no temptation taking you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able. But with the temptation, God will make a way to escape. You've got to take his way, not your way. So you've got a captain, an old captain, chained below. And until the millennial kingdom, that captain is going to be there. In the millennial kingdom, he's going to be chained. He's going to be thrown in a pit and chained up for a thousand years, only at the end to be let go and then be thrown into his eternal home where we'll never have to mess with him again. But the point I want you to see is he has no authority, no power, no nothing, unless you give it to him. The, the 
he throws out fear. You can't do it God's way. You can't do it that way. Here, take this corn. It's here. It's free. It's against what I'm saying, but go do it. In, what God says, but do it anyways. And you go, and what happens? A trap falls. Bam. If you stay so full of Christ, you have no reason to even go down below and mess with that cattle. You stay so full of Christ, you're so full that somebody offers you corn with molasses on it and fruit, Matt. You're like, no, man, I'm full. I don't need any of that. I'm good. So in this, this is what I want you to remember out of this whole thing. This sums it all up right here. Bait is anything but Christ, but Christ is anything but bait. Look what you have in Christ, man. You've got <coughs> eternal salvation. You've got eternal life. He's, you've got, you've got the authority to be able to do what's right and not have to do what's wrong. You've just got to trust him through faith that he is who he says he is. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's in the book of Hebrews. And he's just giving you opportunities to please him because they require faith. And if you're full of Christ, there's new, no room for bait. And if you don't take the bait, you don't get what? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, there's some reason you had me preach this this week and not last week. Maybe it's because we needed the Lord's Supper last week, but in your infinite wisdom, Father, we know that it's for multiple reasons. Father, I pray each of us would see this from your perspective. Father, I pray we wouldn't even just dwell on the fact that the enemy throws corn out and that there's traps. I pray instead of always looking at the button we're not supposed to push, we're so focused on the button we are supposed to be pushing that we don't even recognize that other button. I pray that we're so full of soul food from you and we're so stoked to following you and seeing what you have in store for us every day and seeing every situation as an opportunity to please you and, an and we see it from your perspective and do it your way, Father. We're so busy, so full of doing that that we're never distracted by the corn of life. <laughs> Father, I pray we don't focus on the traps. We don't focus on the bait and the traps, but we focus on you. And we don't even notice there's traps in that other bait. It has no value to us, no interest in us. But fathers, believers, I pray that our faith would grow and we'd fall more in love with you. And we'd do crazy things with people we're in love with, which is you. But Father, um, I pray if there's someone here need to surrender themselves to you so they have something better to focus on than all the traps of life. I pray, Father, that you would give them the desire and ability to do that right now. And Father, I pray for these things in Jesus' name.